Broadcast Network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, Gene TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hush. Hush, AMC Turn fans. We are back for another edition of the AfterBuzz Turn Recap Show. I'm your host, Megan Salinas. You can tweet at me directly at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Guys, if you haven't already done so, please go to iTunes. Please go to YouTube. Rate, subscribe to us, uh, to AfterBuzz TV. Rate, leave a comment. We love hearing from you guys. It means the world to us to hear what you guys think of our shows. Guys, this week's episode was fantastic. It was a fantastic follow-up to last week's two-hour premiere. And, yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk about it. Joining me tonight in the booth is Marissa Serafini. How are you tonight? All right, Megan. I'm excited to talk about episode three. Yeah. Uh, well, it's technically two the second three. episode. Sure. It's always kind of hard when they do extended uh, premieres like that because afterwards it's like, well, is it two? Is it three? I really don't know how to keep track. I can't count. It's three in my mind. <laughs> yeah, because the first one is kind of like a two-part episode um, because it was two hours long. But yes, we are here to talk in- tonight about False Flag. And um, again, just like last week, unfortunately, uh, Joyce and Ryan can't be here tonight. They won't, they'll be out for the rest of the season, unfortunately. And General Schultz will be back with us next week. But in the meantime, Marissa's here to keep me company, and I really appreciate that. Of course. Aw, you're the best. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and start off this week talking um, about Abe's storyline this week because he returns from New York. We actually open up on Richard, who I I still feel really bad for him because he's recovering from the gunshot wound that he got last season. And I kind of like that what they're doing is that they're showing that actions have consequences because he still hasn't made a full recovery. He gets up in the middle of the night because he's in pain. He he has trouble walking around. He needs a cane. And when he's trying to rush up the stairs, you can tell it's definitely wearing on him. And I, I appreciate that they're, they're keeping the time frame in mind because gunshot wounds don't go away even in modern times that quickly. You know, it takes time for that to heal, especially back then. And we'll talk about that more when we get to benedict arnold's storyline but in this part um we open up on richard he gets up to go take a walk in the middle of the night after abe is returned from new york and sure enough while he's out on and about on his walk he sees hewlett and abe talking surreptitiously in the middle of the night and he knows immediately that something is up and of course abe's not talking about it abe is just talking about it like he just was adhering to his apprenticeship he's he's just studying law like he said he was when in fact he's been feeding hewlett false information so that he can feed actual information to caleb and the rest of their friends so abe rushes out of breakfast the next morning to go deliver a message to anna uh, with all of the facts and figures that he was able to compile from his trip in new york and this is where we get a little bit of development with him and Anna's storyline, because this is one of the first times they've been able to really talk. 
uh, when they're not in, you know, a party or a crowded room. This is one of the first times that they've been openly able to talk. And she she's already contacted Caleb because of the message that she received from Abigail. Abigail, sorry. I can't talk tonight. Um, but she's already contacted Caleb, so she'll deliver Abe's message when she delivers that message. But they actually get to talk a little bit about how Anna did jump off the boat for Abe, but she's still going to see this mission through to the end, even if that doesn't work out because she made a promise to their friends. And sure enough, that's what she's going to do. And Abe has to come clean to her that he sold himself as a spy to Major Hewlett in order to keep from having a constant escort while he's in New York. She's not happy about that, but at the same time, I'm not really sure what he, she was expecting him to do in order to get away from his escort. Uh, it's, it's hard to say because he hasn't been given many options and, but, it's a little bit frustrating because I feel like with Anna, she has every right to be upset with a lot of the things that Abe does, but there are times where it feels like she's upset with him no matter what option he would have taken. And that's kind of frustrating as a viewer because they're they're clearly in love and they want to be together, but they can't be together. So it's really frustrating them see, seeing them get upset with each other over stuff that they can't control or really stuff that they shouldn't get upset over. I don't know. That's just me. What do you think? Well, it seems like it's the trivial things that they're really playing off of. And maybe it's just showing their chemistry and <laughs> how they deal with each other, even if it is the smallest things compared to the bigger things in life. Well, and, and I, I think th yeah. that might be the only content that they have that they can really bond and argue about. And yeah. build that relationship. That's an excellent point because they haven't they haven't been able to spend very much time together over the course of the past couple of months because Mary's been keeping a very close eye on him and they he hasn't been able to go out spying like he has in previous months. And the other thing is that that has essentially put their love affair on hold. And so when you're in a relationship kind of but not really, yeah, I guess with all this other big stuff going on, I guess it is the little stuff that you can, you, you kind of have to pick and choose your battles, I guess. So if you're going to fight over, over anything, it might as well not be the big stuff, I guess. It might as well be over the small stuff. So you make a good point. Yeah. And it might be the only time that they actually see each other. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. They barely get to spend any time together. And the time that they do get to share, it's very much dedicated to spy work and not their relationship, which is unfortunate because, again, Anna betrayed the man that she's married to in order to stay with Abe. So, yeah, that's that's frustrating. And the other thing I wanted to touch on with this particular storyline is, um, and Mary wasn't, Mary Abe's wife wasn't as big of a part in this particular episode like she was in the last one, but it's, she, she, her presence in this episode, her and, uh, Thomas, Abe's son, her presence in this episode, it made me feel really bad because they're almost putting on a facade because Mary knows exactly what Abe's up to, to an extent. She doesn't know that he's managed to get around his escort, but she knows that he's still going to try to be a spy. But in this episode, they're acting a lot like a normal loving family. And that's kind of heartbreaking um, because together and their son is still the one thing that will always bind them together. And the parts of this episode where all three of them 
are together and they're focused on their son, they look like a real family. And that kind of breaks my heart because Abe will never love Mary in the way that she loves him. And it's just really sad. And with all of this deceit going on, I feel like this can only end in tragedy. Oh, it makes me so sad. It's doomed. <laughs> yeah, it's doomed. Hashtag doomed romance, I guess. But, um, Oh, and that reminds me, uh, I'm also keeping an eye on the hashtag ABTV turned. Uh, so if you guys have any comments about tonight's episode, uh, I'll be checking that not only throughout tonight, um, tonight's after buzz recording, but f- also throughout the week. So if you guys ever want to talk turn, use that hashtag because I love hearing from you guys. But, um, anyway, to get back to this episode, Richard, uh, after seeing Major Hewlett, and Abe talking and then not getting a straight answer from Abe when he asks directly, decides to actually do a little bit of his own investigative work and actually finds out as he talks to Major Hewlett when he gets caught that Abe is in fact a spy for Major Hewlett. But because of, because they've, they're completely out of the loop as to what is actually going on, uh, Richard worries that, uh, letting Abe know that he knows <laughs> is actually going to cause undue stress and will compromise the mission. Uh, because in Hewlett's eyes, Abe is doing this to make up for past transgressions in dealing with rebels. So again, this is, this is all very interesting because this is all getting wound around very, very tightly. And eventually this is just going to come tumbling down because eventually Richard is probably going to find out if he doesn't suspect already that his son is actually being a double agent and not for, not for the, not for the Tories. So that's going to be very interesting. And you can kind of see that at the very end of this episode, Richard is staring at Abe as he's looking in his books and Abe gives him um, a look back and they both smile at each other. But Abe, you know, um, Jamie Bell just gives this great look at the very end of this scene and it tells you so much with so little just kind of the direction that they're going down, that their relationship is going down because each of them knows something but won't tell the other one and you just know that eventually this is going to come to a head and it was it was just so well done. That's the other thing I want to talk about this episode is that the cinematography in terms of the lighting and shadows was so good. Um, there's so many low lit scenes where you could tell that so much of this of spy work is very much cloak and dagger. And you can totally see that in the scene where Caleb is hiding from Robert Rogers. And we'll get to that. Don't worry. But you can see that in this particular scene where Abe is hidden half in shadow. Half of his face is in shadow and the other half is in light because he has to walk both. It, it's just so well done, guys. If you didn't notice it before, go back and just look at how each shot in this series is set up. It's it's just fantastic. So it looks really good. And okay, so that that's the end of that storyline. Let's go ahead and talk about Ben's storyline because Ben, after receiving the message from Anna that General Lee is a traitor, is just determined throughout, throughout the rest of the episode to prove that General Lee is a traitor. He tries going to Washington. Washington says basically that this information is without context and it comes from an unverified source, so it can't be relied upon. It's not that there isn't any truth to it. It's just that they have no way of verifying 
that it's truth. And even though Ben believes it 100% and is offended on Washington's behalf, Washington doesn't see the need to go around pointing fingers within their own rank, um, within their own team, because there there's no point in that. There's just... And, and <laughs> he makes it very clear at the end of the episode that being divided it will in no way win them the war. And unnecessary pointing fingers isn't going to do them any favors. So what Ben decides to do is he decides to entrap General Lee by forging a letter from Horatio Gates, who is another general who isn't 100% on board with Washington, um, with Washington being a general. So he forges a letter, which actually this is really cool. Um, Nathaniel Sackett has this contraption from Jefferson, which they called it the polygraph duplicator, which essentially allows you um, to write two copies of a letter in one go. And if you actually use it to um, trace a signature or trace you know, other forms of handwriting, you can actually commit forgery with it. And it's this really cool kind of steampunky device. Carbon copy. I know. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. So they decide to use this device to forge a letter from Gates so that they get a response from Lee that they can then show to Washington to prove that he is, in fact, a traitor who's looking to just take Washington down. So, uh, first of all, I, I want this device, if nothing else, just to look at it because it is the coolest looking forgery machine I've ever seen. Um, it's this, like I said, it's kind of steampunk. I like it, but it's an actual spy device. And that's something that's really cool about this series and talks a lot about the potential of this series now that we've actually gotten into the nitty gritty spy work. Cause we have the invisible messages on the eggs and now we have this polygraph duplicator. I want to see more devices from Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and people like that because we saw a couple of um, Franklin's devices in the last episode and now we have this polygraph duplicator. I want more of these inventions. It's like it just fills me with such a glee because I want to see what can be done with those and the way that those can be incorporated into the spy work that they're doing. It's just so cool. And I feel really geeky for nerding out about it, but I want to see it. And I hope that the rest of the season goes into that a little bit more. Well, I think if they're going to add Ben Franklin to the story, yeah, it's kind of implied. <laughs> they have to. Yeah, they, they've they only mentioned him by name. They haven't cast him yet. and it, But they did the, something similar with Washington last season. They kept mentioning Washington, and then they would show his desk, and then finally they had to make this entrance. And it was great. So I'm hoping that they do more of that with the Founding Fathers. As you know, they mention them, and they show these little devices, and then eventually they get to make a big entrance because all of these guys played such a huge part in forging our country in the way it is today. So I would love to see them in this show. Yeah, do you think you'll get Thomas Edison? Oh gosh, that is a that is an excellent question. I don't know. Um, maybe Tesla <laughs> too. Maybe. Wait, were they around during the Revolutionary War? I feel like Edison was later. Edison might have been later. I feel like Gotta Edison was later. Um, I would fact check that right now, but then it would just be a couple minutes of uh, dead silence as I went to Wikipedia. So don't quote me on that. Please don't quote me on that. But anyway, I think it would be cool to get more of these inventions. Um, I would really like to see that, uh, especially from Nathan. I'm pretty I think- sure Edison was alive during the Civil War. <laughs> like this, 
this takes place in the 1860s. This, uh, okay, so Edison was later then. This takes place in the year 1777. Okay. Yeah. Although a lot, that, a lot later then. Although, yeah, they'd have to construct a uh, time machine to get Edison there. <laughs> yeah. Edison was during the Civil War. This is during a completely different war. Yeah, this is during the Revolutionary War. Got it. Yep. Although that would be awesome, because that would imply that Edison yeah, was a time traveler, and that would make an entirely different type of show. Uh, <laughs> I would watch that show, though. It would be like Doctor Who meets Turn. It would be great. But anyway, so let's let's get back to this particular storyline. Um, in order to do this, after Ben forges this letter, he actually has to get, uh, he has to actually get it rooted through the mail. And the way he does that is going to see Benedict Arnold and dropping off a letter in Arnold's outbox so that it can go and get processed and that he could then intercept the response after Lee writes a response. Um, so there's that. And he has to go and see Benedict Arnold, who Benedict Arnold is, in really bad shape. He's still wounded from his gunshot wound in his leg. And the doctor, not only does he put it in this really painful-looking splint, he also says it's going to have to be amputated. Of course, Benedict Arnold isn't taking any of that. and But he, the consolation, at least from Washington, is that he's getting a promotion. He's getting promoted in title so that uh, they can kind of honor him in this way because they're realizing that, oh, he's actually a very valuable military asset and we don't want to lose him. Once the doctor leaves the room, Washington informs him that this is only a, a rise in title and that absolutely nothing else has changed. It's a promotion in name only. His pay doesn't go up and he's still subordinate to everybody he was subordinate to before. So it's really just a token gesture and this infuriates Benedict Arnold because he still has to take orders for, for he won the battle. It was his actions that won the battle, but he still has to take orders from the man who wanted to retreat. And he sees this as a huge insult to his honor, which you can understand that. Although the, the problem is, is that Benedict Arnold's arrogance is what will eventually lead him to become a traitor. And I feel really terrible because every time I, especially this particular scene with Washington and Benedict Arnold, anytime I watch the two of them together and there is such great mutual respect there, I almost want to cry. I know that sounds weird to say that I'm like tearing up in a scene that, that yes, is dramatic, but isn't all that sad or anything like that. But I, I kind of get choked up. Because you know exactly what road it's going down. You know it's just eventually going to lead with Benedict Arnold, like the straw that breaks the camel's back, and you're just waiting for it. For the one final transgression that Benedict Arnold just can't take it anymore, and he's like, okay, that's it, I'm defecting. And that, I, I'm, I don't know if that moment is going to happen this season or if they're going to save that for later seasons. But just knowing that it's there, knowing that at some point we're going to hit that beat, it, it's heartbreaking to watch because these two are, le they legitimately respect each other. And yeah, it's just heartbreaking. So, but later in the episode, um, after this moment, uh, when Ben goes to drop off the letter, uh, on, with Benedict Arnold in his outbox, essentially. He actually and Benedict Arnold have a conversation together, and it turns out that Arnold knew 
Benjamin's brother Samuel. And they actually do kind of have this genuine moment of connection because Benedict Arnold really admired Samuel's valor. And Ben, still, you know, still mourning the loss of Samuel, really, that, that connects him to, to Benedict Arnold. And I think for a moment, he thought about taking the letter out of the stack, but the, the mailman came in, basically, and took the letters away. And I think for a moment, he thought about trying to find another way to accomplish his goal, just based on that. But it's it's interesting because I think given in the next episode, we're going to have some a very different discussion between the two of them. But we'll get to that at the end of the show. Um, but basically what this boils down to is Ben is able to intercept General Lee's response from um, in the mail. And he goes and delivers it to Washington and goes, this is it. This is the proof. This proves that General Lee is a traitor. And that this, you know, that he's been trying to undermine you this whole time. This is it. We need to go and expose him. And this actually, this this particular scene, I think AMC always does on their YouTube page, uh, the, the day following um, when a show airs, they always upload clips of episodes that they refer to as the most talked about scene. And I think that this is, if they do one for this episode, it's going to be the most talked about scene of this particular episode because this is the one time in the entire series that we've seen Washington lose his cool. And it is terrifying because he's so reserved and he's so deliberate and dignified with everything that he says. And he he always tries to see the good in every situation. Even when someone is being a complete jerk, he can somehow see the value in keeping them around or assigning them to somewhere where they would be of better use. He usually can be very strategic and diplomatic about anything. But when Ben does this, he loses his cool. And it is downright terrifying to see Ian Khan playing General Washington losing his cool and his patience with Ben. But I think that's good that they're showing a very humanistic side of a American leader that we all know and love. So, and I think that's where the creative license come in that the audience can really, I don't know, like be more attached and more relatable to this type of character to see someone who's so high up in power, but be very realistic and human in that way for makes the audience, you know, just very related, relatable to him, and just root for him more to see maybe yeah. a, a low point in his life, but we know that he overcomes that, the obstacles. Yeah, actually, that was that's a big portion of what they were going for in bringing General Washington into this show, is they wanted to show the man behind the legend. Because, you know, in American, whenever we think of our founding fathers, we always put them up on this pedestal, and we forget that they were people, not just heroes and legends. So it, it really was a fantastic scene to see him actually kind of break down and admit that they cannot appear divine. Divided, because God forbid they appear divided and disorganized in front of the French. Because the way he put it, without France, we have no chance of succeeding. And if they appear as though they they don't have any chance of winning the war, they won't be able to enlist the aid of France. And then they really will lose the war. Yeah, well, it shows weakness as well. If, they, if there's no solidarity, then that's a perfect opportunity for the enemies to strike. 
Exactly. And so, and that's exactly the, the lesson that he, he needed to hammer into Ben. But at the same time, he's like, you are my head of intelligence and yet you know nothing about what's actually going on. And I can't teach you this. You're, you know, I'm not your father and you're not my son. I can't exactly, I can't take the time to teach you good sense. And it is kind of a heartbreaking scene because they do kind that prior to this, they did have very much a very father son relationship. And even this, even though um, George Washington is saying, I'm not your father, it is very reminiscent of a father chastising his son. So I, I think that they're going as far as their relationship goes, I think it's going to continue to be a father son relationship. But Ben needs to act in a way that can play the game a little bit more, but not in a way that will actually end up losing points for America instead. Yeah, so they have to... My guess is what they're going to go for is, at least for Ben, is that they're going to try to eventually, eventually catch General Lee in the act, but not in a way that's going to make them appear divided and weak. So I think it's going to be kind of a long con in order to kind of make up for the rash decisions that he was making. Um, so anyway, that's basically this storyline. Uh, but meanwhile, while Ben is, is trying to entrap General Lee, we have Caleb and Robert Rogers essentially in a race again with one another, although they don't know they're racing. Uh, <laughs> but they're essentially in a race to both get the wax sculpture that left England, that left London, and was being sent to New Jersey. And it was being sent to a man named Dr. Charles Hallam in uh, the Hack- Hackershack township. I don't know where that is, but it's in New Jersey, apparently. <laughs> but um, so they both go and they're both at the house at the same time, essentially. And Caleb is actually this close to attacking Robert Rogers when we find out that it, in fact, the wax sculpture never made it to the house in the first place. It turned out that this privateer ship called the Revenge actually um raided the ship before it ever got to the before it ever got to its destination and it just so happens that robert rogers knows the captain it's a man by the name of Ryder, which i couldn't help but think of the princess bride when when we got to this point because it's a privateer ship yes but it's essentially legalized pirating uh so i was just thinking about the uh the uh, pirate ship revenge which uh in the princess bride is the dread pirate robert ship and even even the captain in this is named Ryder. i was like that's awfully close to roberts so (laughs) inconceivable Nice! That is amazing! Thank you! That just made my night, Marissa. Thank you. You're welcome. But it's interesting that they, that it in fact is a privateer ship rather than a pirate ship because I don't know if you remember when we were talking last week, but Mary and the other girls in the sewing group, Anna convinced them that dealing with a particular privateer that um, works with the, the new owner of the tavern, that, that he will actually be able to hook them up with some goods and, cer- you know, with certain goods that they're hoping to do some sort of charity event with. That, um, that that's the best way that they can get these goods, uh, at a reasonable price. And I can't help but wonder if this is the same privateer. It would make sense. And it would make sense 
to have Robert Rogers and Caleb going after somebody who will eventually make their way over to Satake. I can definitely see that being the way that the, the this particular plot is weaving in. And if Anna or if Caleb is somehow able to get Anna to kind of get a hold of that wax sculpture, because we still don't know what message is is buried within the wax sculpture. We don't know. Um, all we know is that poor Miss um, Wright, who who was able to intercept this document and put it in and send it off, that it cost her her life. That's that's all we know about it, is that it's vital to the British and that it is off somewhere. Lord knows where. Robert Rogers seems to know whereabouts Ryder and the, the ship Revenge might be going but who knows? So, and, and I'm actually really glad that this happened because when they both showed up at the house, I was like, wow, that particular storyline got wrapped up really quickly. And then it turned out it hasn't. It's, it's back in the ocean somewhere on a pirate ship. And I think that's fantastic because I was kind of seeing this document as kind of like the MacGuffin of this series. So I'm really excited that it's not done yet, that we're still chasing after it, and that it's not just Rogers, but Caleb is after it now, too. That makes it kind of a race to the finish. I like that. I'm looking forward to seeing where that's going. And to to switch gears, speaking of Robert Rogers, we go, um, we switch back over to the Queen's Rangers, where Simcoe is now in charge, and he's having them run drills with bayonets, and basically threatens to stab someone with a bayonet, even though, because they're not used to someone who is that regimented. They had Roger, Rogers had their respect, but they were very much kind, they were disorganized mercenaries. Simcoe is a British officer, and he's making them act like Soldiers, which is something that they're not used to. But after last week's episode, they are certainly not going to defy him. And Simcoe actually approaches Jordan, one of the few people he knows from Satake, and actually offers him essentially freedom papers because he wants Jordan to be a free man when he makes the decision of Simcoe saying, I want you to be a free man when you decide to be my second in command. And Jordan is taken aback because he's like, I, why? Why would anyone do that for me? And Simcoe basically tells him, you're one of the few people here I know for sure doesn't want me dead. Which I don't even think that that's a fair assumption either, because I can't think of really very many people in Satake who didn't dislike Simcoe. So this was a very, very interesting scene. Um, because we haven't we haven't seen the two of them interact at all in the previous season and now moving forward they may very well be partners and that's in that's creating such an interesting dynamic because Jordan it was inferred last season that he was in love with Abigail who is now being a spy in John Andre's household so it it would be very in, it's interesting seeing him rise th- through the ranks on the opposite side. So it's going to be very interesting. And who knows if he and Simcoe are even going to get along, if they're going to be on the same page, because Jordan took to Robert Rogers because it was kind of like this tough love, but there was still a lot of respect there. 
And so who knows if he and Simcoe are even going to jail, but Simcoe thinks that he, out of everybody there who were the Queen's Rangers, that he makes the best second-in-command. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops and what route they go down as they head on back to Setauket and how things change when they get back there. So that's going to be interesting. Um, and now this brings us to uh, the next storyline, which is John Andre and Peggy, who, as we mentioned last week, Peggy eventually becomes Benedict Arnold's second wife. But uh, in the previous episode, John Andre and her had a little back and forth. And we see that again in this episode uh, because John Andre is putting on essentially a, a production of the taming of the shrew for the soldiers is kind of a morale booster and the way he sees it is that philadelphia is also severely lacking culture recently due to the war so he's putting it on not just for the soldiers but for the town itself and sure enough peggy comes down and they have a very interesting discussion because he she essentially is fishing for information as to why he was inquiring about who stayed with them and finds out that basically he wants to have her send a letter inquiring after the health of Benedict Arnold. And she becomes furious because she knows exactly what he's doing and tells him, I'm not a piece on your chessboard and walks away, even though he he invites her to the play she walks away and she's like maybe if there's an opening in my social calendar i'll go but you can tell she's just livid with the fact that he was going to manipulate her into doing this that he was factoring her into his political plans and he's still doing that but you can this is the first time we've ever seen kind of a plan genuinely backfire in his face um because of the way he was going about doing things We've seen it backfire in his face because he invited Simcoe to the dinner table, but <laughs> which was an awesome scene, by the way. But we, this is the first time that we've seen General Andre, or, or Major Andre, I'm sorry. We've seen him actually take a misstep, and he is taken aback. He doesn't quite know how to deal with somebody who won't take orders from him and doesn't have to take orders from him and how that factors into his plans because and you can tell it almost genuinely hurts him that he offended her he he genuinely acknowledges that she is a person and didn't want to be manipulated in this way but later on she attends the play and apologizes that she lost her cool and lets him know that she did send the letter that he wanted and this scene is, this whole particular storyline is very interesting because even though Peggy becomes Benedict Arnold's wife, I look at this and they're very much, they're very clearly setting this up to be kind of a romantic scenario between John, Andre, and Peggy. And so I, I feel like that's eventually going to become a love triangle. It's kind of weird seeing a love triangle form before two characters ever share the screen together, being um, Peggy and Benedict Arnold. It, it's very, very interesting to see her sort of becoming romantically involved with John Andre before Benedict Arnold is even in the picture. 
It's interesting, and and I think that's where they're going with it. I don't know for certain that that's where they're going with it, um, but that's very much the feel and the vibe to it because every time that they are on screen together, there's a lot of romantic tension, and there's a lot of power plays going on. She is very much an independent woman who doesn't want, who doesn't like being manipulated, who doesn't like it when the game is turned on her. She likes playing games with other people. So it's very interesting that they're both, that they're sharing this dynamic, that they're both very powerful people in their own right, both politically and socially and personally but that they're now kind of clashing with one another. But at the same time, they kind of like having somebody to clash with. They like that the other one just won't immediately give in to what they want. It is a dance, as John Andre put it last time. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how the music goes and whether or not they'll both be stepping in time or if that's... And I assume that's where they're going with it because Peggy is, in fact, um, historically speaking, very involved in the spying that John Andre does. So it will be very interesting to see where that progresses. And that's basically it for this week's episode. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about predictions for next week, unless, Marissa, you have any questions about this week's episodes. No, I mean, it sounds like they're really playing up a lot of relationships that the audience wants to see. So they're teasing it here and there. So that, that'll be interesting. And I think it's also just like the power struggle between all the leaders that are going on. Mm-hmm. And just who who really is, you know, trying to keep the cool. I mean, you mentioned Washington losing it a little bit. But I think it's really who is in that position of power and who has the most to lose. It's interesting that you say it that way because, yeah, for the first time in this episode, we see both Washington and John Andre losing their their footing a little bit because throughout the series, they are the power players. And both of them in this episode have been undermined in, a, in, their, in different ways, too. So that is very interesting. And the other thing about this episode is that this is one of the episodes that progresses each individual storyline a little bit. Instead of focusing on, like, one or two big ones and then having, like, a few of the subplots moved along, all of the subplots are kind of, like, moved forward a little bit. It is very much like the initial stages of a chess match where, you know, you move the pawns at first um, and it's very slow before you start actually moving the rooks and the bishops across the board. So before any of those big moves are done, this is kind of putting everything into place for the rest of the season. I, I like episodes that I like that that actually progress storylines forward. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice when actually the story gets going, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. Yep. All right, so I want to talk about really quick predictions for next week. And now, your After Buzz TV predictions. I love the light show. It makes me so happy every week. Ah. Thank you. Everybody loves it. I know. It's the best. It feels like we're throwing a party in here. Okay, so next week... We get, uh, we, the promo for next week showed a little bit. It showed, uh, Benedict Arnold and Ben Talmadge clashing, um, almost, almost physically. And I, I gotta say that even though Benedict Arnold is confined to his bed with a splint, a really nasty looking splint on his leg too, I still wouldn't want to mess with the guy. Um, in this episode, Washington mentioned that he kept two pistols near his bed the last time he was wounded. So, yeah, definitely don't mess with Benedict Arnold, even when he's bedridden. 
Um, but the other thing that they showed is uh, Simcoe actually kind of in camouflage gear. So it looks like the Queen's Rangers are taking action next week, that they're not just training anymore, that they're actually going out into the field for missions. And whether or not that means they're back in Setauket is something something yet to be seen. But it would not surprise me if that's where they end up, at least partway through next episode. And the other thing is that I think next week we're going to see the Culper Ring expand because Abe is going back to New York and he he's talking um, to the innkeep from the previous episode who we know, again, from history, actually was a member of the Culper Ring and it looked like Abe was trying to convince him to do just that. So I think next week we're going to see the Culper Ring expand or at least the initial stages of its expansion. So, yeah, I, I think that about covers it for this week. I, I have a question. Sure. I mean, you mentioned that um, someone is injured and has a splint. But Benedict also, Arnold, yeah. Benedict Arnold. What about smallpox disease? Ooh. I mean, that was a big thing during the Revolutionary War. Do you think we'll ever they'll introduce that, and that'll also be a side threat other than people killing each other? We also have the disease wiping out everybody. Whether or not they'll touch on that, I don't know. There is a Native American character who has come over to um, to Ben Talmadge's to the to the side of the Patriots. He left the Queens Rangers uh, to become a Patriot um, in the wake of Robert Rogers leaving because he was loyal to Rogers and not necessarily the crown so he left but i don't think that they're going to go that route at least initially because right now what they're focusing on is very much all of the character relationships and the spy work so i and and even in the previous season they had battles but a lot of times they would kind of skirt around them like a character would get knocked out and they'd wake up after the battle was over and even in this season so far they they've had Benedict Arnold charging into battle, but then got injured. So it was very similar in this season. So this isn't a show that focuses on the big, grandiose, you know, the Patriot-style battles. Um, you know that from from the Mel Gibson movie. It doesn't focus on the warfare. It focuses on the spy work, because it was a lot of that spy work that made our victories possible. So I think it focuses more. it's going to focus more on that and on the character relationships than it will on any kind of um, other aspects that might have been going on in America during this particular time. Although you make a very good point about unsanitary uh, hospital conditions during the war, because, yeah, that's that's no good. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see if they brought that element into it, the story. Yeah, no, it would, it would be interesting because it is, historically speaking, something very, very devastating. So, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, yeah, I guess that wraps it up. Marissa, thank you so much for taking the time to, like, chit-chat with me this evening. Of course. Uh, thank you, guys. And thank you guys for tuning in. Again, General Schultz will be joining us next week. So, yay, we're going to have our general back. I'm Lieutenant Salinas. You can follow me on Twitter at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I'm also on a bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz. I'll be on Orphan Black starting this Sunday. And I've also started writing articles for the Movie Chick. So be sure to check those out. That's Movie Chick with two Ks at the end, not just one. Uh, and, uh, yes, again, thank you guys for tuning in. I can't can't wait to talk to you guys about next week's turn. We will see you then. From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. 
To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.